think uh, very loud. G'day everyone, how are we going? It's very nice to be here tonight. Um, and I'm up here because Dave, as our minister here, is probably not going to tell us, but we need to be praying for him. He is doing a subject in Hebrews, and that actually means he's learning another language, so he can actually read the Bible from the original language, and he's loving it. And so I got this uh, phone call uh, earlier in the week saying, hey, any chance you could preach for the next couple of weeks? Because uh, Hebrews might be a little harder than I think it is. I'm flat out speaking Australian, let alone English, let alone Hebrew, so... Uh, but I thought I'd take the opportunity uh, because we've been working through Acts and Acts is just full of evangelism, isn't it? It's there is Paul just getting out there telling the news. And uh, as an eldership team, we've been talking about, uh, as a congregation, wanting to continue to have what we're calling missional heat, to actually keep warming up that thinking that we need to be sharing the gospel with other people. Because any time that you take that missional heat off, we just become the ambient temperature of the rest of the world. And we don't want to do that in Tambourine Mountain, uh, Prezi. We actually want to be serious about sharing the gospel. And so I thought I'd do a couple of talks um, on uh, just practically us thinking through where we fit in and what we might be able to do to actually share the gospel. And so we're looking at 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 5. Can I pray for us as we start? Our dear Lord, uh, thank you for the opportunity uh, to be here tonight, to look at your word, and thank you, Lord, that you give your word so freely to us. Help us to hear the things we need to hear. Thank you, Lord, that you are our Father. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what he has done for us in the on the cross by forgiving us. And Lord, uh, help us to respond to that. How could we not share that with other people? And yet, Lord, so often we do. So, Lord, be with us now as uh, we look at this passage and encourage us in our faith as we move forward. Okay. Well, I don't know about you guys, but when I... I fix this, sorry. When I, when I was about um, 16, uh, I actually thought I knew most things. In fact, there was a saying that used to go around, and I'm not sure that it still does, but I certainly heard it a fair bit. When I was 16, I knew everything. But as I've grown older, I know less and less. And that is... Whoa. Guys, am I better off using this? Or you get... <laughs> I don't know what you're doing. As I can prove right now, I have no idea what's happening, so I know less and less. Um, but... but um, but that was true for me. I remember as about a 16-year-old, I went down to the wood heap to cut the wood. And I had the axe, and on the way past, Dad saw the axe handle and had a little crack in it. And Dad said to me, you probably should, you should go and replace that axe handle now. And I thought to myself, what does he know? Seriously, how many times have I cut with his axe with a little crack in it? I went down there and I smacked that good old piece of um, iron bark, and as it hit, the axe handle split and my hand slid down and the pointy bit of the broken bit went straight through here and the axe head fell off and the bottom of the axe was hanging out of this little bit of skin here through here. And I looked at that and went, oh my goodness. I walked up to Dad and showed him, go, I got, and Dad grabbed hold of it. He won't remember this, he's too old now. He's here. <laughs> but gra Dad grabbed hold of it, looked at me and said, you should have listened to me and as he said that, pulled it out. Now, I don't know about you, but um, I think when it comes to evangelism, we can be often be like I was as a 16-year-old. 
The problem, the problem comes um, that we, we think that we should be able to do evangelism because we're Christians. And because we're Christians, we should be able to share the gospel. But when opportunities are given to us to share the gospel, unless we're a gifted evangelist, one of two things happens. We look blankly at the person that we've been given the opportunity to share the gospel with, and inside, turmoil is happening. What am I going to say? 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 And there's just this blank look on our face. Or we boldly go where no one's gone before and we give this long-winded explanation that goes on for hours until the person we're trying to share the gospel with is standing there with a blank look on their face going, what the heck are they talking about? Once uh, you've had that happen to you, once or twice, or if you're persistent four or five times, you stop sharing the gospel because you come to a point of going, I can't do that. I just can't do it. Or you get these blank looks on your face or theirs. And either way, uh, you come to a point that you start to think, I haven't got what it takes. Now, I would say that's a problem. It's a roadblock for us as Christians. We know that God tells us that we should, he encourages us to tell other people about the good news of Jesus. In fact, he doesn't just encourage us. Here in this passage, at, uh, in the start of verse 2, it's actually a command when, Jesus, uh, when Paul's writing to Timothy, he's saying, preach the word. It's actually a command to tell the truth about God. But the problem is we often don't, do we? Because we're thinking we should know how to do this because we're Christians after all, but when we get the chance, it goes so badly. Now, I think the problem here that as Christians, we, we hear preach the word, but we don't read on to hear what God's got to say to us in the next bit. Because look what it does say. Verse 2, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Do you see it there? Be prepared. Why is it, as I'm reflecting about this, why is it for the rest of our lives we are taught everything? We're taught how to eat, we're taught how to walk, we're taught how to run, jump, read, swim, manners, ride a bike, how to talk to a girl, work, play, rest, relate. Now, we may not be taught right or well all the time with all of those things, but we are taught And yet when it comes to evangelism, for some reason, we think that we're just going to get it without doing anything. And because of that thinking, when we get that opportunity, and those people are standing there with blank looks on their face, or we're standing there with a blank look on their face, that is because we're not prepared. We have not prepared ourselves to do that. So I guess that leads to a question, doesn't it? How can we be prepared? But before we can answer how, we, how can we be prepared, what we actually need to do is ask another question to understand why it's so important to get prepared, and that is, what are we preparing for? Why bother? And again, our passage tells us, in verse 1 of chapter 4, Timothy 2, chapter 4, verse 1, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word. What does that mean? Well, for a start, it means we need to see the need. Jesus is coming back. 
And if people don't have Jesus Christ in their life, they're had it. They sit under the judgment of God's wrath. And we need to open our eyes and realise that need is out there. In fact, when we do, when you actually stop and think about how many people need to know that Jesus is real, that forgiveness is on offer, that there's an opportunity for them to be forgiven and have eternal life, and they're walking around there in complete ignorance of that, we only have to look within our church, out the door into Mount Tambourine, down the mountain, into our state, into Australia, into the world. You start to go, it is huge, isn't it? The need is massive. But instead of pressing into it, what we do to ourselves is we think it's too big, we numb ourselves to it, and we avoid thinking about it. And how will we ever get to the point of doing the hard work to prepare to share the gospel if we're busy avoiding recognising how big the need is? How will we reach out to those people around us when our thoughts are not thinking that they need to know Jesus just like I did? We need to see those people's needs around us and we need to start to prepare to find ways to reach out and build relationships with people so that we might share the gospel. And there needs to be a sense of urgency in this. The passage talks about Jesus coming back. Sue came to me today and she said to me, um, you know, there is an urgency because we think about Jesus coming back or for most of us, none of us do. He hasn't come back for like 2,000 years. Is he coming back? He's coming back, people. And we should have a sense of urgency. He is coming back, and when he comes back, that's it. But Sue reminded me this morning too, don't forget, you don't know when you're going to die, or they are either. And there's a sense of urgency at that point that the gospel is shared while you are here. And the gospel is given while they are here. So practically, what can we do here? Well, can I encourage you this week to stop and look around to the people that God has given you around you, those people who need to know Jesus. And then let's prepare, actually be prepared to think through how to reach them. Think through how you can spend your time more effectively to reach the lost, how you can actually spend your money more effectively to reach the lost. Yeah, it's going to be hard. It's going to be sacrifice in it. How can, we work to, how can we work together with other Christians with, as a church to reach the lost? This might mean that you invite your neighbour over or your workmate over for tea. Or if you run into someone at school, a mum and a mum, to invite them out for coffee. Or a schoolmate over for the weekend. Or have a conversation with your neighbour in the backyard. Or at work or down at the shops or at school, or at uni, or maybe even invite some people along to the footy and have conversations there. But you need to go and have a chat with them. Take an interest in their life. Don't just say hello, but ask them how they're going and love them, just as Christ has loved us, just as those people in our lives loved us enough to point us to Jesus. And get other Christians involved. 
when you invite your friend, uh, your friend over, invite some other Christians along. Years ago, um, we lived in Townsville and our neighbour, Brooke and John, Lex, lived next door. And my wife, who is definitely not an extrovert, she would just wander over and have a chit-chat across the fence with Brooke. And that chit-chat moved to come on over and have a coffee and eat and that relationship probably went on, I don't know, six, six or so months. I remember coming home from a holiday and Brooke had picked the phone up, rung us, rang, rang Michelle in the car and said, I need to know about Jesus. I need to get back to church. I need to get serious about what's going on in my life. And, and for someone like my wife, who, you know, I'm sure she was sharing the gospel in amongst all that, not directly, we need to remember we're not alone in this. God is working in other people's lives and we get to be a part of this. We need to make ourselves available to do this. And we can do it together. But we need to think through how to be prepared to reach out to those that are lost, to start to see the need. And that Jesus will be back to judge. And those that don't know Jesus are lost without that gospel and understanding it. If you don't know how to get into the, one of those conversations of just talking to somebody and chit-chatting because you're freaking out, talk to some other people around you. As a church, we should be chatting about this. We have some gifted evangelists in this church. They don't think they're gifted, but they're the guys who just talk about Jesus at the drop of a hat. I'd go Barry and Zach are definitely a couple there. But there's people here that do it naturally. They probably don't know how to do it, but if you hang around with them, you go, oh my goodness, I should do that. But you need to teach yourself. You need to be willing to be taught. Ask people. Let's talk about it. How, how can we get uh, this right? Number two here that I want to just uh, that comes out of this passage is we need to not just build relationships and identify people. We need to speak. Verse 2 says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. You see, there's not much point building great relationships with all our neighbours and people around us and, and having these great friendships going on and we never ever talk about the gospel when the opportunity is given to us. We need to be able to explain God's word to people. This is one of those things that I don't think we ever stop learning but the reality is that we often try to avoid because it's hard work sometimes. But to be able to explain God's word, we need to be able to know, to know God's word. And so if we're going to be prepared to share what God has to say, guess what? We need to spend time with God. We need to be in his word, reading it and praying to him as he speaks to us and we speak to him. And so, no, so then we will know what he's saying. The great thing about this is God has written down everything we need to know. And so practically, how can we prepare? Was well, a guy who's been in youth and children's ministry for a long time, this is just a Sunday school answer. And we take it for granted. We need to be praying to God to help us to understand. And we need to be reading our Bibles because that's how God speaks to us. And we need to be spending time with other Christians because he has graciously given us a family to sharpen ourselves. In other words, doing devotions each day isn't good for you, just good for you that you grow in your faith, 
but it's good for other people that they might come to know Jesus and grow in their faith. Look, I have a little Bible study group on a Friday night with a bunch of youth group boys. And I can tell you, sometimes I'm sitting there leading the Bible study and I walk away from that Bible study feeling like I've been encouraged more than I've probably ever encouraged the boys. But those Christian young men helping me to grow in my faith and me helping them to grow in theirs. And so can I encourage you, if you're not meeting with someone and reading the Bible or talking about Christian stuff with them, do it, even if it's one-on-one. You will never be as effective as you could be without that week-to-week fellowship with other Christians you know. That's why coming to church is so important. But we can also go the next step. We can do some courses to actually understand the Bible. I, I couldn't tell you what the gospel is about, but someone did this course, Two Ways to Live With Me, which is basically biblical theology and sharing the gospel. Now, you wouldn't wrote wrote it off just talking about it but it allows me to understand how the bible fits together to explain the gospel extremely helpful do a course there's a hundred books out there books on how to write your testimony because each one of us has a story as a christian that god has changed our lives you don't have to be a drug addict coming to jesus to have a testimony i am like fifth generation christian And God took a dirty, rotten sinner like me and changed my life because I couldn't believe for a moment the Big Bang Theory actually happened. Each of our stories is unbelievable and we should be willing to share it. There's books there to teach you how to do your testimony. Listen to talks. We live in this world that we can listen to great speakers all over the world. I listen to Tim Keller every second day and he's in New York. He's a good one. Do a Bible college course. They've got a great QTC up there. Get involved with that. Or for some of you here, it might be a great idea to actually go to Bible college. Like Ethan is down doing year th- uh, bridge. Sorry, nearly got in trouble there. He's doing the bridge. Ethan is growing in his faith doing that. And he, whether he's here or whether he goes to another church, he will be effective for the kingdom because of what he's doing. All these things will help us to preach God's word clearly so that people might hear the great news of the gospel. And to do that, you need to have a good understanding because I can tell you there's plenty of people out there who are just saying whatever they think's right or not and they've not really thought it through. Which brings us to number three. Be prepared to talk through all sorts of wacky ideas. Have a look at verse three there. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Now, what does that sound like? It sounds like Australia for about the last 30 years, I reckon. But when you talk to most people, if we did a survey across the the mountain or your neighbours... Uh, you will find that a lot of people have got baggage about Christians. And that baggage usually comes from uh, Christians either being well-meaning or so-called Christians who are just off track. And we need to be clear where we stand on God's word so that we don't just make things up as we go along. That's why it's important to speak from a good understanding of God's word and not to just speak what I'm thinking 
Like as a youth pastor, I can tell you now, one of the worst things a youth leader can do is when a kid asks them a question and they don't know the answer to it, is to answer it. When they actually, what they should say is, I don't know the answer to that, but that's a good question, I'll go and find out. We need to be clear here that God is so graciously given us the Bible and there are parts of it that are black and white. We are sinners. We've turned our back on God. He sends Jesus to die on a cross to take the punishment for our sins. And as a people, we can turn back to him and seek forgiveness and we can be forgiven and come back into relationship with our Father. Black and white. There's black and white things within there. Uh, it's like, be, if, you're going to, if you're going to have a relationship with a boy and a girl, get married. Make a commitment to each other. Don't just live together. When it comes to gender, black and white in God's word. But there's a whole bunch of grey areas too, uh, like church structure. Presbyterian churches have committees. Anglicans have bishops. We need to be careful that we don't take what is grey in the Bible and make it black and white, try to make it black and white, and take what is black and white and make it grey. We need to be prepared to hold fast to God's word, to what is black and white. And we need to love people in that. How does this practically work? Well, we need to be careful that we don't get drawn into those wacky ideas, but we actually measure them against God's word. But in all of this, I just want to say a, wor a word of warning. Years ago, when I was first married, uh, I lived next door, Michelle and I were on a property, uh, we lived next door to a guy named Cliff. Cliff had been living with his partner for years, they had three kids. I got on really well with Cliff, he was a similar age, and I was bagging him out about getting married all the time. God, make a commitment to the girl, mate. I was chatting to my pastor one day and he said to me, Dave, stop bagging him out and start pointing him to Jesus. Because if you point him to Jesus and he understands how much Jesus loves him and he becomes a Christian, he'll actually then go, how should I live the way that God wants me to live? And all of that will get sorted out. Don't be Christians to take morals and beat people around with them without taking Jesus first and sharing the great news of Jesus. Because it doesn't make sense, this moral part, because the reason we live that way is because we trust God's way is the best way to live. And so don't be like me. Don't beat people up on morals. They're dirty, rotten sinners just like I was. And they need to know Jesus and his love and the rest of it will sort itself out as it goes along. And the last one here that is in our passage tonight is this. Be prepared that it's not going to be easy. Look at verse 5. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of evangelists, discharge all your duties of your ministry. Look, um, if you're going to be serious about being a Christian and sharing your faith, well, whether you like it or not, we're going to run into things that are difficult to deal with. And these things come at a number of different levels. And they will make you feel like, and I've certainly found a number of what am I like this, what am I doing this for? And in many cases, people weren't prepared for the hardship and they no longer share their faith with anybody anymore. 
And I want to say, nobody wins at that point. Not the person who's not sharing their faith and being a part of the Great Commission and not the person who needs to be shared with. The hardships can come in many forms from being bagged out for being a redneck, narrow-minded person. Uh, And in Australia right now, we don't deal with physical persecution, but we all know that there is a strong cultural pressure that as Christians makes us feel like we're swimming up the river. And as Christians, if we, we need to be prepared for it because if we're not, we will get swept away. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Some of you are feeling that sweeping away now. We need to be prepared for this. And we can be hurt as we share our lives with people, as they reject God and reject us in the process. For me personally, I I have had many a youth group kid that I have discipled over many years and some of them had turned to me and go, I don't want anything to do with God and they don't want anything to do with me anymore. And I've shed tears for those kids. And I know for many of us here, we will have had that experience too with friends, with family, with children. It's heartbreaking. But it doesn't mean that it's not worthwhile. So what can we do here? I think Peter sums it up pretty well. Jesus is preaching and he's preaching to thousands of people and he, he's talking about how to follow him. And at the end of when he preaches, yet there's not a revival, hundreds and hundreds of people just start leaving. They're leaving in droves. And in the end, he turns to, uh, to his disciples and says, are you guys going to go as well? And Peter says these words, where else have we to go for you alone have the words of eternal life? You see, even in the heartbreak of that and you wanting to turn away from God, there is no better place to be than with God. And then Paul has that great line that he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We need to continually remember the bigger picture here, that many people before us have copped a lot harder times than we have who are being persecuted and killed for their faith, and we sit here tonight because of their faithfulness. Surely we can do that for the next generations and generations after us. And what's the worst that can happen to us? Well, we could get killed, but if I die, I go to heaven. I'm not lost, and if I live, I get to share Jesus. The other thing in hardships we need to remember, and it's something that I'm being reminded of lately, is that in hardships of life, we, we, we need to be taught. Uh, if you ever read the book of Hosea, Hosea marries a girl who basically goes and sleeps with a whole bunch of blokes. And in the end, God says to Hosea, go and get your wife and pay for her to come back to you. Now, can you imagine Hosea ripped to the core that his wife's just gone and slept around and God says to him, I want you to do this because this is what my people do to me. They adulterate themselves to the world and yet I will pay the price for them. Hosea understands what Jesus did for us. And Moses, he has all that hoo-ha in Egypt, gets kicked out with, into the wilderness with his father-in-law Jethro. He's looking after sheep. You can see him out there going, what the heck am I doing out here? But you can't tell me for one minute 
that when he had to take the people of Israel out into the, into the desert, that that wasn't very helpful, that time spent in the wilderness. We need to be prepared. Being prepared is not something just happens, but it's something that we need to be doing all of the time. And we need to be taught to hold fast to God's love as he has loved us. We need to continue to seek to be humble, humble ourselves to learn more and more. And the more and more prepared we are to share the gospel, the more effective we will be to reach the lost. There's a Chinese proverb that says, tell me, I'll forget, show me, and I may remember, but involve me and I'll understand. Tell me and I'll forget, show me and I may remember, but involve me and I'll understand. And I don't quite understand this, but how amazing is it that God is involving us in this? He wants us to understand clearly. So let's get prepared to share the great news of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Oh, Lord, it's, I stand up here knowing that uh, these words are easy to say, and yet oh, we let you down all the time, Lord. And yet you continue to want us to be a part of this. And so, Lord, I pray for those of us who are Christians here tonight that we might step up to the plate, that we might lift our eyes and see those people that, we, uh, that need to know you and that we wouldn't stay in our own little cliques but we would actually care for those who are lost just as we were once lost. And I pray, Lord, that we would work together well to do that. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you have saved us, that we know the truth and understand the love you've given to us. Help us to respond to that by wanting to share it. For Jesus' sake, amen.